This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Christmas, everyone. What a happy and joyous day it is. And we're going to talk about the promised Messiah today. And what I'd like to cover are just some of whole variety of scriptures that really speak to who Jesus was, who others said he was, and who he claimed to be. And we'll look at what the first covenant also said about him in terms of the being the Messiah. So we'll just look at a few of those things. There's far more than we could possibly cover in today's episode. However, I've just selected a few that I'd like to share. So first of all, you might remember that John the Baptist was what we would call the forerunner. He was the one who came before Jesus. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He sort of was in the spirit of Elijah. He was in the wilderness, in the desert, if you will, eating locust and wild honey and wearing a camel's hair coat. So he was not your typical sort of person. He didn't hang out in king's palaces and he didn't hang out in towns or where the rulers were. And he called the people to repentance and he called them to baptism. And these were the Jewish people that he was calling to repentance and also to baptism. And he was basically saying to them that someone was coming who was greater than him And he wanted to be the designated one who was to point out who this person was. So I'm going to take a look at John 3 and verse starting in about verse 25. And you'll notice here where it says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, and they were referring to Jesus, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 
So here we see the situation that John the Baptist's ministry is diminishing. People are going over to Jesus, but he's already foretold this ahead of time, John the Baptist. He said, there's somebody coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelace, is essentially what he told them earlier. And he says, this is the one he's come from above, and he's doing great and mighty things. And yes, people are supposed to go to him. I'm going to decrease and he's going to increase. So we have here even John the Baptist testifying about who Jesus is. So when we use the word Christ, that's just the Greek version of the word Messiah. They mean the same thing. This is the sent and called one of God. We will also find that Jesus' ministry included a lot of activities which were unusual and typically had not previously been done, not on any kind of great scale at all. So people knew that they were to look for someone who was going to be coming with all kinds of miracles. One of the miracles was that he healed the blind, and not just someone who had become blind, but he healed a man who was born blind. So from birth, he was blind. And what Jesus did is he created kind of a mud pack using saliva and mud from the ground, covered this man's eyes with the mud pack, and then told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And as a result of doing this, the man came up and his sight was returned. He was able to see. And of course, the leaders of the synagogue were very upset about this at the time because how could he be healing this man? And very often, sometimes the healings would occur on the Sabbath and they were very upset about that. So they're having a conversation with the man who was blind and who had been healed. And they also talked to his parents. They asked him repeatedly, this man, what happened to him, what's been done. And so in verse 27, the man who had been blind and now was no longer blind, he answered them, and this is John 9, 27, he says, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. So the man, that is the one who had been blind, answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And of course, the leaders of the synagogue, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and are you teaching us? And then they cast him out. So this blind man being healed of his blindness was certainly a testimony that the ministry of Jesus was no ordinary ministry. He was doing things that people just didn't do in that day or even in prior days. Another miraculous activity that he also engaged in is that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And as you might recall, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. They were very, very good friends of his. 
And when he heard that Lazarus was on his sickbed, he delayed for a little while where he was and did not come to him right away because he already knew that he was planning to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he waited until Lazarus died and had been dead for a while. And then he comes to do the miraculous work. So we'll look at John 11. And in verse 40, Jesus is now speaking to Martha, the sister of the deceased Lazarus, one of the sisters. And he had already talked to her about him being the resurrection and the life. And he said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. And you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And in case you don't remember, Lazarus had been dead for four days when this miracle occurred. So, of course, the news of this miraculous raising from the dead spread all over the place. And so you can imagine that this was quite a crisis for the spiritual leadership of the day. So in John 12, and starting with verse 9, we hear what is being said. So now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, meaning Jesus, and they came not just for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So they wanted to destroy the evidence of the blind man who was born blind and who now could see, and the evidence of Lazarus who had been dead for four days and then had been raised from the dead. So then we find shortly before the time when Jesus is actually going to be going to the cross, we're going to see an account and a situation where he's riding through the town and he's being honored in the way that often kings are honored. And I want to go back to the book of Zechariah in the first covenant to really get a sense of what's being said here. Zechariah, the ninth chapter, starting with verse nine, we're going to see a prophecy that happened in advance about what was going to occur in the future. So in this prophecy, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this then is prophesied many, many years in advance of the occurrence. Then we see in John, the 12th chapter, that this prophecy is fulfilled. And this is in verse 12 of the 12th chapter of John in this whole section called the triumphal entry. And we see it says, the next day, 
A great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus said, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So again, that is the repetition of Zechariah 9 and 9. And Hosanna means save now. So the people were saying save now. And they were putting out palm branches, which was a sign of honor. They referred to him as the king of Israel, as a descendant of King David. And they knew that God had promised that a descendant of David would remain on his throne forever. And we know that when a king comes on a donkey, he's coming in humility. He's coming in peace. The Romans were used to kings coming on white horses, charging into town as in a victory situation. When Jesus comes in the second advent, the second coming, he will be on that war horse, if you will, and that won't be the time to be thinking about whether you accept him as Messiah or not. You want to do that when he's coming in peace, because that's the purpose of this visit, is to draw all men to himself for everyone to understand his mission and why he is here. And as we're covering these items, I want to add one more picture. And this picture begins in the first covenant in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 61, we're going to see some words that are said. And Isaiah 61, starting with the first verse, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So again, this is prophesying something that's happening in the future. And I want to show a picture of it in the new covenant, which is Luke, the fourth chapter. And this is going to be starting with verse 16. And we find that Jesus is going to the synagogue. And it says, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And of course, they thought he was Joseph's son. In reality, he was not Joseph's son. Joseph was his adopted father. He was the son of God. And Mary had Jesus because she was overshadowed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to say in all of this, when we look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, and we look at what was prophesied about the Messiah in advance, and we look at how he healed the blind, he raised the dead, and did so many things. He understood and opened the words of God, the scriptures, in a profound way that the scribes and Pharisees were unable to do because they did not have that same level of insight and that they weren't coming directly from heaven themselves to be able to do so. So he was doing all of this. However, the way he was coming was not the way that people expected him to come. The Jews were under significant oppression at the time under Roman rule. They were looking for a king who was going to free them from Roman oppression and authority, a king who would sit on an earthly throne, who would come on the white horse in military victory. And yet what God knew is that we as people need to be saved from a far greater threat than Rome, a far greater threat than an oppressive regime or government. He knew that it was really our sins that were separating us from God himself. And so God prepared his perfect spotless lamb to come and to be a sacrifice for all of us that we then could be reconciled to God. So even in our day to day, people don't like the package sometimes in which God has come to this earth. They're looking for a different kind of salvation. Therefore, they reject the Messiah of God. They don't see the Messiah of God, and they miss the Christ that's in Christmas. So as we celebrate this Merry Christmas, I want to remind you to not miss the Christ of Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.